welcome back to the Forgettable Half Hour. I'm Jason and I'm joined by Megan as always. Yes, here I am. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Now, the Forgettable Half Hour is a podcast that we record here at home to decompress life as a dementia carer. We have a bit of a whinge and a whine about what life is like as a carer for someone that you love with dementia and just talk about things that happened during the week and the ways that we coped or the ways that we didn't cope. And also to get some insight from anyone who's listening. Exactly, because you guys have proved an invaluable mindset to sort of help broaden our horizons as to what's possible in this space as well. Of course, as I said, we have a wine and a whinge, which means we actually have a physical wine. And Megs, you've got a cheeky bottle of red there that you're uh, about to crack. No, this one's been cracked. Oh, it's just cracked. So mum and dad brought this one up during the week. Thanks mum and dad. Thanks mum and dad. It's a little Cab Merlot from the Margaret River. It's called Abbey View. And yeah, I think there's a couple of glasses still left in it. So well, it sounds like just enough for the podcast. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks, Marampa. That sounds good. Yeah. Here's to another week gone by. Yeah. Cheers to you. Smooth. Very smooth. For this episode, episode eight, we're going to title this one "Managing a Health Crisis." Mm. And, of course, like we said, we're covering something that's happened to us in the past elapsed week. Yes. What happened here roughly a week ago? It feels like a really long time ago. It was a very, very big, intense week, wasn't Mm, it? It was. I took over to the doctor on Monday just for a routine script and also a weigh-in, which was really successful. That's for another podcast. And while we were there, Doc said, let's let's throw the COVID vaccine in her up and hang out for a little while and then head home and everything should be fine. Obviously went through all the risks and yada, yada, yada. And yeah, we went home and we had a regular afternoon. The day went on. Yeah. Oma had her dinner. She loved it and enjoyed Perfect. it as normal. Everything I, was fine. We were yep. settling down for the evening as a family. Yeah, I'd just gotten home with Artie from swimming lessons. Everything was running very nicely and smoothly mm. until Oma rang the bell and then you went up there at about 7 o'clock and um, yelled at me from afar. Yeah, and you know that when I call your name that way, that usually means... yeah. Something's wrong. So So poor Oma was vomiting Mm. violently and it was hugely, hugely distressing for her. Yeah. She, yeah, had nausea, vomiting, like over and over, like quite uncontrollable and and diarrhea. It was was terrible and she was really helpless. She really, she really, really struggled through it. She was very, very well. And it was hugely distressing for us as well because we knew together just by looking at each other yeah, what yeah. this was what this was going to mean. We'd had a dress rehearsal a couple of months ago, obviously, with mm. some vomiting, and we knew that this was pretty serious. And she was unwell; like she wasn't just vomiting; she was very sick. Yeah, she was clammy. She was yeah. She had a recent the... a, 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 quite a substantial amount of distress mm. by the vomiting because she. I mean, obviously with her dementia, she had no recollection of ever having vomited in her life. So for her, that was a new experience, but it was one on top of the other and it was, yeah. Frightening. Frightening. For her, it was Mm. frightening. She didn't really understand what the sensation was. And then each time she was vomiting, she, again, she was reliving that this sensation is awful. Yeah. So we were really just leaning on each other in this scenario, weren't we? Yeah. I guess that's where I'm always so so thankful we have each other. Mm to kind of piggyback off in an instance like that so we can 
Yeah, thank God we had my oldest daughter, Bree, staying that night as well so she could take care of Evie and Artie and get them off to bed while we were managing Oma. But it's it's that battle between trying to read her physical condition that she's presenting with, so the vomiting, and then contrasting that against reading her distress that her dementia has is causing her in that situation or you know, otherwise known as delirium, I guess. Yeah. And it's that balance, isn't it? It's trying to work out well, what it actually is, what are we treating here and what is being masked or being exacerbated by the fact that she's got Alzheimer's. Yeah. And I think you're, you're very, and we've said this before and we reflect on this all the time as a couple, like you're very here and now. And then again, I was, I was thinking further down, wasn't yeah. I? I was like at 7 PM. We can't manage this all night and you were like, okay, I'm just managing right now, right now, right now. Mm-hmm. And that, oh, that's just why we work so well together, I think. But we were looking at each other like, how what are we, we how are we going to manage this? Dehydration, delirium, con- constant vomiting, diarrhea was then yeah, starting yeah, to yeah. settle in. We were running through the motions of, look, Evie, our two-year-old, had had a small, oh, well, not small, she'd had a, a vomiting bug for a couple of days. The week before, yeah. But we had been really managing their separation. And then we were tossing up, holy shit, is this a reaction to the COVID vaccination yeah. today? And then, then, we, then we got really scared. And I think that's when we really realised together we we have to call an ambulance yeah. and we have to get to hospital. And this is why having two people in that scenario was also so important is I was catching vomit and you're calling paramedics. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that moment because it, I think neither you nor I wanted no. by choice to have her go to hospital for this, but we were also realising, I think we go through that checklist in our head, as you do when the person you're, you're, you're caring for with dementia has a, a health crisis that you need to deal with. You, you go through a bit of a checklist mm. in your head and we were like looking at obviously obviously dehydration yeah. for her because she was uh, you know, vomiting quite aggressively. She was panicking and in a, a fair amount of anxiety and distress because mm. of their vomiting. Marrying that over with the, the information that, yes, we have had a toddler in the house the week before which had a vomit bug, that's one consideration, but also that Omar had just had the COVID vaccine that afternoon. And the time of day, I think, plays in it too. Like yeah. usually this stuff always happens at night. During the day, seemingly things are, are easy to deal with because you know you have more options available to you in daylight hours, whereas in nighttime hours, it feels like your whole world closes in. Yeah. And when someone's in a state of health distress at home, we ask ourselves that question, can we as carers adequately manage this particular health event? So is this something that we feel confident we can handle or we should handle or not? And and so, yeah, you made the call. You said, no, I think we need to call an ambulance. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we need to consider in that space then what, what is in Oma's best interest too? Like are we caring for her in her best interest or does she need more help? Yeah, and we did, yeah, we managed to do all of that somehow together yeah and we we made that call together and we don't call an ambulance very lightly obviously um has been hospitalized a number of times for all sorts of different things normally head wounds and mm. from fall injuries mechanical falls mm. and yeah but other illnesses have been a rel- relatively rare thing and a new thing for us to deal with with oma yeah but the other thing is with an ambulance as well is that two of us can't leave the house together yeah. either because you need to manage Oma while you're driving. Someone would needs to manage Oma while you're driving if we were driving into hospital and that's, yeah, we can't both leave the house. 
Yeah, and, and we, you get we, immediate immediate care once you've. Well, we know as, as soon as we make that choice of a if if hospital is the answer, then we know we need to call an ambulance because mm. we can't sit. We've learned from experience we can't sit with Omar in a waiting room of an emergency department for four or five hours waiting to be seen and coping with her increasing alarm and distress in that environment as well as the condition of whatever she's got. It just doesn't work. So we know now from default we just have to call an ambulance right yeah. away and, and we don't do that very easily. That's not a choice we like making. It's a, it's even for us, having dealt with paramedics a number of times, it's still for anyone hugely distressing to call an ambulance because it's yeah. that moment of not defeat but it's a moment of saying, I'm in alarm and I can't handle this situation any longer. Yeah, and uh, someone was asking us the other day about how our children cope when an ambulance is called and things like that as well. We're going a little bit Mm. off topic, but because I think we explained to the kids this is why we're calling an ambulance, it it makes them feel safe that, okay, well, Oma's being looked after. She's not in a huge amount of trouble. Oma's being looked after and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. So then the process we go through is once we've called the ambulance, I also start packing a bag. We know now from history, start packing a backpack with things that Oma's going to need and that I'm probably going to need in hospital in case I have to stay with her, Mm. in case it's overnight or longer. I know I need to have things with me like a phone charger, something to occupy Oma's mind, a change of clothes. The robotic cat. The robotic cat that keeps her anxiety levels down somewhat. A couple of muesli bars. A couple of muesli bars because, yeah, sometimes you don't get to eat <laughs> in that process. But, it, yeah, there's, there's that whole thing that sort of swings into action. You, you know, so we know hospitalisation means an ambulance for us. That's the choice we have to make. And so that's that's the first thing. The second thing is we know that calling an ambulance means inevitably we, as carers for OMA or carers for someone living with dementia, need to prove to those paramedics when they attend the scene that we're a worthwhile piece of the puzzle and then we have to accompany Oma into the ambulance into the hospital passenger yeah as a passenger and that's something I know that 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 depends on which jurisdiction you fall under which country in which you know that, that, that there's going to be different protocols for that all around the world but here in Australia by default paramedics are not supposed to take family members into the ambulance unless it's a minor I think it's unless it's a child a pediatric case or they need 24/7 care well the paramedic explained yeah unless someone needs 24 7 care such as a minor or someone living with a disability for which we answered well she has a disability and i think we argue that case really really well but but again it's that delicate knife edge between standing your ground and saying look i don't feel comfortable am i going into hospital without one of us attending with her so I think it's it's always that battle of trying to prove to them that you're helpful yeah. and you want to be helpful to them. And I think that's what I ended up saying to them was, look, I only want, I understand your protocols, but I need to do this because I'll be helpful to you. I'll be helpful to the emergency staff on the other end and it'll make a more pleasant journey for Omar through this because, you know, dementia is largely invisible to people it's visiting invisible, the house. It's an invisible disability. Yeah. And they're obviously seeing someone that's in a particular health state of distress but their dementia is not even really coming to the fore at that stage. They're just seeing an old person in distress mm. from vomiting. They don't really consider the dementia so much. Mm. So we fortunately were able to win that one and, and the, the paramedics were amazing. let us let me go along with them, which yeah. was amazing. And then, of course, once we get to hospital, <laughs> we've then got the other consideration, which is one, we need to treat OMAs at need symptoms, and that's what the... The clinicians and the health, emergency healthcare staff will be attending to immediately. 
and that's their primary focus, of course. But secondary to that, we need to manage a potential mental health crisis mm. as well in OMA, and that's something that emerges hour by hour. Yeah. And that's something that's a more difficult sell in conversation to the attending nurses and doctors is, yes, she's here because she's vomiting and because she's unwell and we're not, you know, she's dehydrated and she's quite distressed. But second to that, we're dealing with someone that has a, a, a mental health issue and we need to also be mindful of that in her care. Yeah. And that's very, very difficult to fight for in an emergency health care yeah. setting. Absolutely. And that's hugely hugely draining on you as well as as the passenger and as the the accompanier of OMA mm. massively draining it's really difficult to repeat yourself over and over and over and keep keep it up you mm. know and with that well, you've been in that space too and you know what it's I like have. from going to different it's, medical appointments every single person that gets introduced to OMA's journey yeah it needs to be sold the story to be honest yeah i do all the i yeah i do all the the, the daytime appointments yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when you're in a situation like i'm not in a situation of a high level of anxiety when i'm doing that mm. you know and i'm not doing it over and over in the space of one hour yeah. you know and you're obviously worried about omer at the same time so it's it's a hugely taxing hugely taxing situation for you as well and then the flip side of that is i'm at home and worrying about where you are, have you got there yet? Has she vomited again in the in the ambulance? Are you there yet? What are, mm. did you are you able to get in? Have you seen a doctor yet? Is she still vomiting? You know, meanwhile, it's it, layered. Yeah, Very yeah. Layered. But then you, you're still in it until God knows what what time of evening. And I, yeah, at least I was able to sort of wind down a little bit after that. But I was mm. very numb this time around because. The previous, like I say, dress rehearsal that we'd had a couple of months ago, I was very numb and I was very, I was, I was really concerned about this visit. Yeah. Um, so when we say dress rehearsal, that refers to a hospitalization we had with Omar two months pr- prior mm-hmm. where Omar needed to stay in hospital for two days. She had to have some surgery on her esophagus to remove a food blockage. Mm-hmm. And it was hugely traumatic. And as I said to the paramedics this time around, we got Omar back home again with at least a 20 to 25% deficit of who she was. Mm. So, you know, there was so much of her missing in just those two days in hospital with me being with her every single moment of that time. There was still that huge erosion, I guess, of her confidence and her ability and herself. There was so much of her missing when she came home. And you were so scared this time around that that was going to be repeated and how much more was going to be missing of her this time. Like I was just really numb and yeah, it was a, it was a weird sensation this week and it was hugely emotionally draining. Well, mentally and emotionally and physically draining this week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this has really knocked you around this week. It was a big week. And people at our local cafe were even saying, oh my God, Megan, you look like shit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I still think you look beautiful. <laughs> Whatever they say, it's okay. <laughs> so bringing it back to that emergency department setting, obviously once we got cleared from the triage bay and we're in the emergency department itself. So we're not admitted to ward yet. You're still waiting to be assessed. I guess one of the other big challenges of being in there with someone with a mental health deficit is coping and managing with the transfer of what I call soft information during sh- shift changes. So mm. when, and inevitably when you're there at night, you're always there for a long stretch of hours mm. and you're going to at least encounter one shift change of staff. So you've just gone through the process of educating the nurses and the, the attending doctors to Omer's circumstance. And then you see them come around a big cloud of people and there's a shift change and there's a new round 
and you've got to go through all of that again. Mm. And that's and almost the point where my heart sinks because it's kind of like I just felt like I was getting somewhere and then I feel like everything's been reset and I'm back to basics. And again. this is what I'm saying about how exhausting this is for you. It's um, it's necessary, obviously. I yeah. mean, people have to go on a break yeah, yeah, yeah. or leave their shift, but yeah. it is it is it's very hard because draining. none of that soft information tends to get handed over in the in the transfer. Mm. And because I'm sitting next to Omar in the ED, I can hear what the handover staff are saying, and they're literally just just handing over the mechanical information yeah. of the at need physical symptoms. So elderly lady presenting with nausea exactly. and vomiting, mm. dehydration, da, da 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 history of dementia, but that's almost kind of thrown in at the end. Mm. You know, there's no grade or scale to that. So yeah. then every single one of those that then attends us from that point in, I'm gonna go and repitch <laughs> the yep. story and the information, the the, the opportunity to be there and, and care for her, you know. Without being a dickhead. Like And that's hard when you are dealing with Oma's increasing frustration and her growing delirium, which just does happen in that setting. She forgets where she is. She forgets the time of day or night. She forgets whether she's had a meal or not. Mm. She forgets that she's in. she's been in hospital. She came in by ambulance. She forgets why she was there. Yeah. So all of that stuff, you are answering all those questions on a revolving loop every three to four minutes. Yeah. And then you've got clinicians coming in and you've got to try and Mm. take that break to express to them what's going on as well and i know this is i'm not saying this is a solo battle i know that there's thousands of people out there that do this every single day for someone that they're caring for but it's real you know and i think the reason we need to talk about in this podcast is i guess to stimulate conversation about what can we do in an emergency healthcare setting to make dementia more visible because at the moment, it's very difficult to fit that in the conversation and there doesn't seem to be a logical path where that comes into play yeah. in the assessment of a patient and yet it's so important mm. to know, not just for the patient but also for the person sitting with them, that that's seen and heard and understood. And so I find, yeah, that, that whole constant process of educating all the attending nurses, all the t- attending doctors, not only on her condition but also on the longer-term implications of her being in hospital right here and now is really hard. Yeah. Because they're doing their job. Yeah. They're there to read her symptoms, try and work out what's the immediate need. And they don't really, they're not there to really think about what does tomorrow mean for her or what does potentially a two day hospital stay mean but that, for her. But that's what emergency is. It's dealing, it's dealing with the here and now. Yeah. I mean, and I thinking... shudder to think, what would someone like Omar do in a setting like that without either you or I being allowed to be with her? I don't even want to know. Like yeah. that that would be shattering yeah. for her. Mm. I don't even know if she could come home after something like that. Yeah, I don't know. So how question for you guys listening. Thoughts and ideas. How do we make dementia more visible in an emergency health setting? What are your experiences? What are your journeys through having gone through this yourself as a carer? Have you been in the emergency setting with your loved one? How did you cope and how did you make their dementia visible? to all attending staff, to your loved one? How did yeah. that work without you being a squeaky wheel? Or what is it like? Like, I know there's listeners from lots of different ends of the globe. Like, what is it like, say, in Netherlands or, or, yeah, or somewhere yeah. else? Yeah, what's it like in different countries? Yeah, how do they manage? Like, I know in Australia, we, well, in New South Wales, in Australia, we have a separate, particularly in our, our local hospital, there's a separate paediatric emergency wing. Yeah. So only children are seen in that wing like maybe around other corners of the the planet there's separate geriatric or 
mental and I, health. Well, or... I guess the, 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 that's an interesting point you raise because with a paediatric style health setting, that's there because of the vulnerability of children mm. needing more care, more help, more you know, mm. and it looks, parenting. It looks different too. Like it's colourful and there's pictures and yeah. there's smaller beds, like there's cots and it's things It's a less like distressing that. environment. Yet yeah, when we think about dementia care, we're often dealing with adults that are reverting back to a childlike state. Mm. And they Yet they're colour. not put in an embracing environment as such. It's still a very clinical, very harsh, very difficult environment for the most of us to be in at the best yeah. of times, let alone for, for someone with, with dementia. Yeah. If you've got ideas, please let us know because I'd be keen to know what you think about that. So I guess my big point I want to make with this podcast is dementia patients in an emergency healthcare setting need constant supervision. Mm. They need reassurance. They need bucket loads of patients, which is really hard in an emergency healthcare setting. But they need all of those things to ensure that there's going to be a viable outcome. Yeah, or beyond to, the immediate at need healthcare. Yeah, or to and to limit the potential outcomes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think you need to be like we were saying at the beginning of the podcast. Like, you you need to be able to have someone to lean on for yourself. Like that's really important, so that you stay focused and you mm. stay. What what is my goal here? Like, because you're going to flounder because it's really stressful and and really hard, and it's really important to have a support just to help you through that, even if it's just a text message or yeah. or whatever. Like that's that's really crucial for you as a carer to me to be able to maintain yeah. what you're trying to do. Yeah, I kind of shut it. I know there's a lot of carers listening to this podcast that do this on their own. Mm, and I know. my hat goes off to you because I do not know how you cope in that setting on your own yeah. without a backup. I thank God we've got each other because yeah. solo, I don't know if I could do this. Like yeah. it would be impossibly hard so hats off to you if you if you're battling this on your own solo huge love to you because this is an immense amount of respect for what you do absolutely yeah so guys let us know what you think thoughts comments please jump onto our facebook page at omas applesauce and find the the post for this particular podcast and drop your comment below. Megs, you've got your finger in the air. And Oma is doing very well, by the Sorry, way. Sorry, yes. Footnote, yes. Thank thank God. Thank <laughs> you threw that in there so it's not all dire. Yeah. Oma's doing really there well. Was, there was a couple of, yeah, a couple of woozy days of really cradling her. Yeah. But she's she's really good. She's, she's made, made of something of else. Honestly, she's made of something. I don't know what it is, but she's got an incredible strength to yeah. her. That's admirable. And uh, she has no recollection of going to hospital, absolutely nothing. And, yeah, we sort of chatted about this and we felt like not remembering actually maybe that assists her recovery because she's not dwelling on the fact that she was sick and so it's kind of a weird... Blessing in disguise in a way almost, isn't it? Yeah. Because she doesn't have to carry that distress forward. Yeah, and probably wondered why we were all over her. (laughs) Yeah, 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 and loved Um, it. Yeah, yeah. But she she really is doing well. She's yeah, eating and hydrated and you know, we took to the park this afternoon with the kids and it was lovely. So she and yeah. she sat in the sun and she is doing very well. She's smiling, her magical smile back on her feet mm. and healing, which yeah. is the important yeah. thing. Guys, thank you. You've been listening to myself, Jason and Megan. Mm. This is having a sip. Mid sip wine. Well done sip. you. Sorry. <laughs>
This is episode eight of the Forgettable Half Hour titled Managing a Health Crisis. How do you do it? Drop us a comment, let us know. Of course, if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to leave a rating or a comment. And of course, if you feel the information is helpful to someone you know, please feel free to share as well. Or if you have any constructive criticism about yeah. what we said today. Yeah, I we need to know how to do this in. better. Yeah, still I just want to throw that in. Newbies at this. Mm. Yeah, mm. totally. Thanks, Megs. <laughs> and of course, through all of this, don't forget that whatever you're doing for your loved one living with dementia is an incredible gift. And whilst you are caring for them, please, please don't forget to take great care of yourself as well. That's it from us for this week. And see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Forgettable Half Hour is a podcast production by Omer's Applesauce Productions, copyright 2021.